Hey babe, I had a quick question. Why do you have that look on your face? What look? That look. I don't know what you mean. You know that look that you're about to ask me to do the insult intro for amateur hour because yet again, you forgot to do it. I mean... Welcome to Amateur Hour. My name is Chris Davis, and firstly, I'd like to apologize for no episode last week. Uh, we were planning on going down to SC United Bantams, and last minute, I felt under the weather, couldn't make it. Um, really disappointed. Uh, as y'all know, that's one of my favorite teams, and uh, we had a couple good interviews lined up down there as well, but uh, unfortunately, I couldn't make it, and uh, that's just how it is sometimes. But uh, this week, we have an awesome episode for you. As you can tell, the soccer goose is not with me. Um, but this week, I do have Liam O'Connell of the USL Academy. Um, we get into what the USL Academy is, what his role is, and different things like that in the interview. So without further ado, here's that interview. And joining me now is the Senior Director of Youth Development for USL. It's Liam O'Connell. How you doing, Liam? Good. Thanks for having me on today, Chris. I appreciate you taking the time. Now, uh, the reason we're having you on today is um, a few months back, I heard this podcast on uh, you, you on a second Yellow Show. Uh, it's a yeah. po- another podcast based in uh, Charlotte, and you were talking about the USL Academy, which I had seen tweets about here and there, but I didn't really know much about. So I wanted to get you on to uh, kind of explain to our listeners what it's about. So. For someone like me who has no experience with youth soccer in America, who basically yeah. became a fan um, into my adulthood in soccer, what is the USL Academy and how will you guys fit into the American youth soccer landscape? No, I mean, for sure, good question. Uh, and the it would take a whole nother call to just explain, I guess, what what is that landscape of youth soccer in this country? Because right. unfortunately, it's a little too fractioned and sometimes confusing, I think, even for players going through their own youth youth career and youth path in the game. So with with the with the growth of, of, of professional soccer and especially at USL, the opportunities that are now being presented to young Americans to 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 become professional players now that we have more and more plain and simple jobs as pro soccer players across the country through these new pro clubs and leagues. Um, we really want to to make that what we call player development pathway, um, so uh, to be as clear as possible mm. in every community and market with which we have a USL property. So if there's a if there's a young, talented, hungry player who has dreams and aspirations and, and the potential to reach the professional uh, ranks of the game, we want there to. Um, to be programs and stepping stones and identification opportunities uh, to, to get that kid into what we call a pre-professional environment with one of our clubs um, and try to give them all the tools possible to succeed and reach their maximum potential. Hmm. Um, and we really feel if we do that, not only is it going to benefit our pro clubs, but we, we really do feel that it, uh, it'll help collectively grow the game and hopefully make us as a soccer country more competitive over time on the international stage. Hmm. Okay, so uh, you mentioned the um, 
because there's so many other things going on right now with youth soccer in America, do you feel like adding another piece to it further, like kind of splits everything apart? Or do you guys see yourself as a bridge to help make things a little more, you know, clear? I mean, it sounds like it's the latter, but I was wondering if you could explain that a little it's, more. It's the, the latter is without a doubt the intent. And I think we have to be very, very calculated and strategic as to how we do have more of a foothold in, in youth soccer, if you will, in that landscape, because, um, like you said, I think we'd be doing a disservice and it would be irresponsible of us as USL to to just launch a youth program that was only in, in the best interest of our pro leagues. Mm. Um, so a, a critical piece to our philosophy as we build out this USL Academy space and the initiatives and programs and competitions that we roll out down the, down the road um, both from a league and our individual club perspective as we consult each clubs is is to, like you said, build that bridge between youth and pro soccer um, and try to try to lessen that gap that currently exists between those two worlds. Um, and so for for us, we believe the, the, the most one of the most important strategies in doing that is uh, before even launching, let's say, a, a new um, academy or youth program under one of our pro clubs brands. We feel it's more important to first engage and support the local youth soccer community that's already in place. Mm. We don't we don't want to be ignorant. You know, when we're this past year, we launched clubs in Hartford and Memphis and New Albuquerque, New Mexico, and many of them are are doing incredibly well and gaining a ton of support from their local community. But um, the reality is, in all those communities, there have been people, clubs, communities that have been supporting and building and growing youth soccer for decades, you know, and so it'd be a disservice to, to their work if we didn't try to include them in these, in this new, uh, in, in these new initiatives that we're building out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it isn't necessarily you guys coming in and getting your pro clubs to start a whole new academy, uh, in every situation, it could be a matter of them working with what's already in the town. Yeah, thousand percent. In fact, I think, irregardless of the the exact structure that each club builds out, because all of our clubs, we have forty six professional clubs now, if you include the MLS twos, mm-hmm. and you know they're all at different um, timelines in their own development as a pro club. Um, especially when you consider what they do or don't have in the youth space. Some have a fully funded program like that matches or even beats, in my opinion, some MLS academies, mm-hmm. San Antonio, St. Louis being great examples. Um, but many, many aren't yet there. And so, um, we have to be willing to be flexible in how we try to guide our clubs and get them to fit within a framework while also understanding that they may all have slightly different solutions to that. Um, and all of them have different clubs, like I said, in their areas. So like even now I'm based in Tampa within our, where our league office is and, I think there's a great example with Tampa Bay Rowdies having built a really strong relationship with um, a local DA and ECNL club, Tampa Bay United, you know, and um, they actually had two kids from that program, that youth program debut um, while still uh, as teenagers for the Rowdies in the Open Cup a few weeks back, which shows that path that we're trying to really create, you know. Mm. So so with it, it kind of sounds more like, and uh, some of it could just be my own ignorance with uh, youth soccer, but it's not so much as you guys are literally starting uh, what I picture in my head, like a whole system of like an academy where players come down to Tampa to some centralized location to train and learn different things of that ne- necessarily. But it's like 
are you guys kind of like more consulting with your USL clubs about what they could be doing to grow the youth game in their area and then forming a competition that the teams could compete in or something? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, honestly. Um, And I think that those are, those are two of the biggest buckets I'd say underneath in, uh, in underneath that USL Academy tier. Mm-hmm. It's consulting each individual club on what we call a youth development strategic plan. Mm-hmm. We actually have a very specific, we, we, we have our own league level youth development guidelines that we rolled out uh, an updated version of earlier this year. Um, but we also based on that framework, um, which is again, just a, a starting point and a roadmap, if you will, we, we then ask each club to assess it and based on their own market conditions and their resources and what interest their ownership group has in being in youth soccer, um, what their goals are, we then ask them to actually present to us a strategic plan. Mm-hmm. We ask that it typically is not just short-term micro level, but also macro level, potentially looking three to five years down the road. Um, and then uh, that's a big part of my role is really working independently with each club, whether it's general manager, technical director, president, or youth development director, whoever they happen to task in their in their club to lead those initiatives. And um, really, it's just about being a, a resource for them. And then, like you said, it's as each of these groups start getting their programs online or building affiliate relationships with the local clubs, you know, ultimately, as they build that youth to pro path, we want them to be able to collect those those top players in, in one fashion or another and be able to periodically throughout the year bring them into these pre-professional, high-level um, events, you know, that we're creating in the short term there, it'll, it'll be presented as the USL Academy cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be obviously a huge opportunity to, um, to kind of gauge the level of, of these clubs at the youth, at the, in the youth space and to see who's unearthing some of these hopeful diamond and the rough type kids that, um, you know, m- may someday step into the professional game. Hmm. Okay. So, Wow. Okay. That's a lot of information, um, which is what I wanted to have you on for. Um, but so, so you guys are creating competitions with the Academy cup. And then if I saw correctly on your website, eventually you're going to kind of have like an Academy type league. That's the goal. hundred percent. Um, you know, I think, uh, there's a few key steps to let's, let's call it like developing a, a future professional player from a youth player that has a lot of potential you know, the first piece is obviously identifying them. So that can be done through just affiliate relationships and the existing competitions that are already there, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but then the next piece is accelerating their development. To do that, if we feel that obviously you gotta, it's, we're not rewriting any book, you know, it's getting the top players to be competing against each other in high level, meaningful competitions. Um, we want to have some control over what those competitions look like uh, and, and have them obviously align with the leagues that we already operate above Academy. Um, and then uh, obviously over time, um, as our clubs look to invest in player development and into the, their own Academy programs, they obviously want to be able to impact those key players that they're investing in on a daily, weekly basis. Because the, the goal is that the long-term goal for our leagues and our clubs isn't just that we're getting developing kids that can compete for first team minutes in USL, mm-hmm. we're trying to develop kids that are better than USL. Mm. You know, we want we want to develop young Americans that that can use USL as a starting point in their pro career, um, and 
you know, after a period of, of hopefully bringing some success to their local club, uh, we want to use that as a, as a launch pad, you know, to get them to bigger and better leagues, be it MLS or, or potentially Europe. And obviously the hope is in doing that. We'll also not just further these young players' careers, but we'll also hopefully uh, um, generate some revenue on the transfer market that these clubs can then reinvest in future um, player development initiatives. So, I mean, that uh, sounds really yeah. good. Sorry? Yeah, no. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you agree. And obviously we'll – we're kind of we have a vision of where we how we want to get there, um, but I think we have to be realistic that you know that's it's a long term vision, and again, different clubs are going to be on different tracks in getting there. So we're uh, we're pointing towards that north star, but understanding we may take a few turns along the way, you know. So, I reached out to a good friend of the pod who has a kid who loves soccer, and you know is playing in like little clinics and things of that nature and I reached out to him and said hey I don't know anything about youth soccer I've never played it I don't have any kids if you were me what question would you like to ask and he honestly sent me like 10 questions which I'm not going to ask you 10 <laughs> questions but they all seem yep. to have a, a similar theme to them and it seemed to be about barriers of entry like how do players get selected um costs uh how do you guys limit costs things of that nature now it sounds like there's going to be a bunch of different models like no two teams will necessarily be the same because some will have affiliates at some level but like mm -hmm. i guess for if for your uh competitions what it, will it be like for a kid who wants to play in the academy cup or a future academy league as far as costs uh tryouts things of that nature uh you hit the nail on the head for the short term that's going to be a club by club decision and club by club basis uh with a big big factor just being you know how deep are those are the pockets of that ownership group mm. um you know if the the good thing is that we're you know getting into communities big and small that mls has not yet reached mm -hmm. so we do feel that collectively we're going to cast a wider net than maybe um mls or the federation does currently so hopefully we'll be like i said finding those diamond in the rough players and providing opportunities to players that maybe never got the opportunity to be seen at this level. Um, look, I'll be honest, like we're going to be aggressive in encouraging our clubs from the league level to fully fund these initiatives mm -hmm. because I think that we'll be doing so will make them far more successful, far, far faster. You know what I mean? And there's a much greater likelihood of their local clubs, local communities supporting them. And, and like you said, some players just won't ever even come out to, even tryouts if they're free, if they know that the carrot at the end of it's going to have a high cost to it. Um, however, I want to be realistic and not overpromise. You know, like I said, it's going to be it's going to take time. Sub clubs as soon as this year are going to be fully funding every part of their USL Academy experience. Some clubs are going to be um, subsidizing what they can. You know, so maybe subsidizing some of the travel costs or some of the uniform costs. Um, or they'll subsidize ground transportation when the kids and their families still do flights. Um, some will still operate on a pay-to-play basis. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 an area that we're definitely going to work with all of our clubs on. And again, the hope is, as these programs grow um, and these clubs generate more revenue over time, that they will start to to push some of that that revenue towards subsidizing future programs. Um, with the hope that, of course, there there could be you know revenue down the road through player development on the transfer market to make. But again, 
some of that could be a, f- a five plus year return. So we want to be uh, conscious of our owners and 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 the reality of those budgets. And, and that's that's the toughest part about us as a country that I think very few countries in the world have to deal with. Mm. Is our talent pool of the elite elite player that truly is a youth national team or future pro prospect is spread out. Generally speaking, outside of a key, outside of a few key DMAs. Our player pool is very spread out, which means if we're going to try to pool them together and get them to compete, there's inevitably a lot of travel, which incurs a lot of time and money. Mm. It's just an unfortunate reality we have to deal with, and it's one of the challenges we're going to have to overcome to, to, to be successful in this space, you know? Okay. So so I guess it's a matter of what you guys will do is kind of help teams try to figure out ways to reduce those costs since you're encouraging it. Um and I did notice on the site that um, the Academy Cup coming up, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you guys are more or less covering the cost for the competition itself as far as like uh, space and things of that nature. And what uh, the individual teams will have to cover is the travel, which is a incredible expense, but you guys are covering more or less everything else. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and I can't thank the executive team at USL enough for – for believing in this in this initiative and the idea of USL Academy, and I, we, our hope is that um, it's 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 a that that's that that is recognized not just by people like yourself, so thank you, but by uh, by our clubs. You know, we feel that we if we're going to ask our clubs and owners to be in, investing in youth development without an immediate return in terms of direct revenue coming back to them, and in, in the next one to couple of years, like we need to lead by example as well. Um, and I can tell you that, that it's a substantial expense we're taking on as a league office to to start to build this this platform for our clubs and, and for future players that will hopefully play in our leagues. Hmm. So let me ask you this. So do you guys kind of, um, I mean, how, how many clubs do you have so far? And, and is it like, I believe the last thing I saw was like a little over 30 or so? Yes, we're actually up to 37 clubs that are participating in one or both age groups. We have two age groups, U13 and U17, mm-hmm. for the first Academy Cup. 13s, though, just go to the national event, while the 17s also have a regional component. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, 37 total clubs. Um, there's a few more waiting in the wings um, that we'll likely announce in the fall. Uh, so we'll we'll probably just clear 40 to 42 total clubs, and I think we'll be right around 60 total teams at both age groups at that national event. Wow. So we're really excited by that. And I think it shows how many, how many of our clubs uh, and youth clubs that they're partnering with are, are believing in wanting to build a, a clearer path to pro soccer, you know, so that it's, it's really encouraging to see so many buy into that philosophy. Right. So, so when you guys were going around, and I'm sure you're still doing this, as I think I saw on the website, you eventually want every single USL club involved in an academy program. Um, how do you approach a, a club that has no current youth uh, setup whatsoever and encourage them to start this up? I mean, like you said, it's hard to convince someone when there's not an immediate return. I, it seems like maybe the the biggest financial implication could be like, oh, well, obviously your team will get better and you could eventually sell on some players. Uh, but is there anything else like as far as community or things like that you guys look at to show them why having an academy would be good for their club? A thousand percent. And great, great question, Chris. So um, 
there's really three main buckets. Uh, you know, we, 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 we'd prefer to be transparent about how we are consulting our clubs in this space, um, both to the public and to our youth clubs that we look to partner with. Um, and it's really like three areas of development, if you will, mm-hmm. player development, fan development, business development. So obviously, uh, and, and it's really important, I think, to, to approach each in the right way. So I think if first and fo- foremost, we're, we're doing right by player development and the initiatives that, that our clubs do in, in the youth soccer community are geared towards growing the game at every level for the rec player, for the rec coach, for the elite player, for the um, competitive coach, whatever it is. Um, uh, I, I do think if if inevitably you our clubs genuinely show that they care about growing the game in their community and supporting all those other individuals and communities and organizations that are actively doing just that. Um, I think it inevitably creates fans Mm. and makes those soccer people in your community make, want you to be their pro club of choice that they support. Um, and inevitably if you do that, they're going, those, those, those individuals are going to, they and their friends are going to, Go to your games, which which drives ticket revenue, concessions, hopefully merchandise. They might watch, start watching the games on TV, which helps improve the the ability for the and, and follow them on social media and communications, which obviously helps the club then generate more revenue through corporate partnership deals, which creates more value and opportunities for those fans to engage with the club in cool ways. So, you know, I just think it's a it's a snowball effect, and and if uh, if our clubs are willing to take a step back and say, all right, let's let's invest in the game first, I think, and have some faith in that, and they do it the right way, they'll get that return on you know, fan and business development down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean when you explain it like that with that snowball effect, it sounds like the only type of ownership group that wouldn't want to eventually do this would be someone who. I don't know, hated soccer and didn't want their club to grow. And I don't know why they would have a team. So, I mean, it sounds appealing for any market. I hope it's received received that way from from them as well. (laughs) And one thing I noticed interesting, particularly in um, like just looking at the map and just looking at North Carolina, which is where I'm at, um, we have, you know, uh, I'm in Charlotte. So Charlotte Independence is competing in it. NCFC is competing in it. But also notice the NC Fusion uh, League Two team has been around for a, a while, is in it as well. I'm really curious, wh- what are the different approaches uh, for getting these different clubs into it? I know a lot of League Two, which which is mostly what we cover at Amateur Hour, is League yeah. Two. But, like, I know a lot of them already have development systems. And I'm pretty sure Diffusion does as well. But, like... Yeah. What are the approaches like uh, as opposed like for them as opposed to Charlotte Independence like uh, yep. as far as you know the academy goes? So again, for us, the word academy means a pre-professional program that identifies young elite players and gives them a direct path to the professional game. Mm-hmm. You you being someone who follows League Two knows. I mean, the hashtag, if you will, yep. is uh, is path to pro. You know, it may be an amateur league, but it's designed to get youth and collegiate players closer to the professional ranks. So uh, at a certain point, like for us, we said we don't obviously the focus for this USL Academy initiative is are those pro clubs. Mm-hmm. They're that they're that top priority because they, they they need that direct path to their senior team. Yeah. However, um, again, I think just like doing a disservice to the youth clubs not involving them, we'd be doing a disservice not involving the 70 to 80 amazing league two clubs we have coast to coast. Mm -hmm. And that number will grow. 
because and, and really the the ones that you see on that map already um, are clubs that uh, that um, that believe in that philosophy of player development. You know, that idea of let's call it senior team soccer, you know, that they they have that capstone U23 ish um, League Two property. Mm-hmm. Um, and like every one of those League Two clubs you see on the map and actually many more that will be included going into the next cycle mm-hmm. um, that we've been in contact since this uh, first announcement. Um, NC Fusion, San Francisco Glens, for example, like. They already uh, Chicago FC United. They already have kids from their academies, their youth programs, this summer playing with their League Two teams. Yeah, playing with playing with men, playing with college level players, playing with former pros. So they're already doing an amazing job giving young players in their community those platforms. Um, I mean, NC Fusion's a great story. I actually love that we have them included because um, are you familiar at all with Gianluca Busio? Uh, the name's familiar, but I'm blanking on. So, so it's okay. He's uh he's the youngest player in the league since oh, Freddie. Had... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, plays plays for Sporting KC already at before his 17th birthday. He already has scored I think over five pro goals in MLS. More in uh in in other leagues. Played for the he'll be at the U17 World Cup for the US as one of their star players this this winter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from NC Fusion. You know, he's don't get me wrong. Sporting has done an amazing job identifying him, putting him in a pre-professional environment and accelerating that development. But at the same time, like from up to 14 years old, he came through NC Fusion's program. And and I give them credit for being willing to say at the time, hey, we while we don't want to lose our best player, we know it's for the greater good of him as a player to move on to sporting. Hmm. Our hope is that all these clubs take that take on that that train of thought. But by building stronger academy programs, some of those players may it may they may get to stay home and continue their path to pro soccer without having because Gianluca moved away from his parents at the age of 14. Yeah. There's not a lot of players that can psychologically, socially handle that change without it impacting their development negatively. He's a special player in in person to be able to do that, but um, we I don't I don't think that has to be the solution anymore. You know, mm-hmm. um, Ricardo Pepe in League One. Who's been who just signed a pro contract with Dallas as a homegrown player, quote unquote. He's from El Paso. Daniel Levia, who just signed for Seattle Sounders and made his MLS debut at 16 years old. He's from Vegas. You know, so like imagine if all these clubs get to get to have programs that and those kids get to decide I could stay or I could go instead of the only way to leave to go pro is to leave home. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean that makes a lot of sense. And Especially if you guys do get that whole every USL team is in the academy as well. You'd have a lot less players would have to move at a young age. I mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine leaving my family at 14 uh, to move from North Carolina to you know, Kansas City. That would be pretty daunting. <laughs> or the opposite as a parent. I mean, would you yeah. be willing to let your kid leave home at 14 years old? Yeah, I, I'm certain my mom wouldn't let me leave um, the county, <laughs> let alone a, another state. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty intense. So yeah, I mean that. That's I didn't even think about that, but that's a really good point. I mean that's a really good way that even if you are like say the fusion who don't have a pro team, they still do have that path to pro uh, to where they can possibly develop a player longer. I know the fusion in particular; they're very proud of the amount of pros they have uh, in the game, considering they've been around for a while. I think to I want to, to be honest I think it was last year I saw like a graphic they had where they had 35 former players playing professionally either in USL or MLS and that's impressive. Yep. 
So, um, you you mentioned earlier about the there was a uh, two competitions, a U thirteen and a U seventeen competition. I was wondering if you could speak on why those particular age groups, because that seems very specific, and yeah. what y'all's plans are to. I assume you're going to want to have more competitions, like I don't know U fifteens and things of that nature in the future. Yep, um, great question as well. So. For us, we feel um, let's let's call it the the the, the most critical pre-professional age range. Mm-hmm. And when we say that, we mean like that age where you, the the top players need to start being in a pre-professional environment. Um, that's maybe a little bit more uh, intensive than your average current club soccer environment in youth soccer. Um, is U15 to U19. Mm. Um, Obviously, most players are going to be in a, in, able to get into that space and actually like be really successful at more like 16, 17, 18. But we need to be realistic that we, we, there are going to be more Jean-Lucas coming out, not, not every year, not from every market. But we do still need to be open to accepting those exceptional 14, 15-year-olds in this environment as well. Um, so we knew we wanted to get, get a key age group within that range. We went with 17s for this first year. We actually have a, a player development subcommittee that I oversee mm-hmm. that is critical in helping us decide how we structure these academy initiatives. It's made up of head coaches and GMs and technical directors from around the league. Um, and so we said 17s because that's that's definitely an age where, I mean, we could identify kids out of this program that could potentially then get put on amateur or pro contracts with our clubs or at least get to train with pros. Mm. Um that's obviously a critical age where you start to realize is a kid going to have to go through college or not um, to reach the pro level or will college be his ceiling? Um, so that was that was the reasoning for the older age group. Um, but we, we also know that, um, again, while we don't want to be too intrusive in these ages because we know there's a ton of clubs around the country doing an amazing job at, at younger ages, we, we still wanted to, to start to impact um, development at a younger age and start to give top players at that younger age of 11, 12, 13, a taste of that pre-professional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we're just having the 13s attend just the national event. Um, so, you know, we're only asking them to leave their full-time club environment for one weekend, you know, potentially as like an all-star team under some of these pro clubs. Um, if the club doesn't already have a full-time U12 or U13 program, mm-hmm. um, uh, it'll also limit those travel costs for the families of younger players. Cause I think we don't want to put that burden on them too soon. Um, and then, uh, but I still think it'll be great to get, get those groups coming together, competing at a high level, um, within their age range, but then also getting to see firsthand what those kids a few years older in their markets are, are, are looking like and what, what that standard of play looks like as well, you know? Okay. So, so that is kind of for you 17s that can, you know, possibly earn their way onto an amateur contract or even a pro contract possibly somewhere, and the younger ones can see the older ones competing and maybe talk with some of them, learn about what they're going through, and then they're right at that age range where if y'all can roll out a U15 or, you know, what have you, they could go right into that the following year if, you know, you guys can launch one that quick. Okay. That that, that makes sense. And we will will be expanding on the cup to a degree going into 2020. So you're, you're hitting the nail on the head that they, they could possibly just like not organically transition into that next stage group. You know, one other thing I'll tell you is, is not only will there be potential pros at this event, there, there will be current professional players. Oh, okay. so like, 
San Antonio has a 15 year old on a pro contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's other clubs that have kids of this age range that are already on amateur contracts and training with them on a regular basis. Mm. So that's, that's another really cool component of this. Like you said, it's even just the 13s being on the sideline, getting to look and see, okay, I've heard about this 15 year old who's a pro player. Mm-hmm. What does he actually look like playing around kids his age? What does he look like right when I'm on the sideline and he's receiving a ball in front of me? You know, like that's a really cool experience for a kid to see that firsthand. And I think it, it, that, that moment in and of itself is an example of bridging that gap between youth and pro soccer and giving that kid that feeling to, to be like, it's not that far away. This kid is right in front of me. He's not much older than me and he's already in it. You know, it makes it realer and more tangible and um, less of maybe just like a pipe dream. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that that, that definitely is interesting. I, I didn't know it would be like that. I, I guess I just thought maybe it would be strictly amateur, but I guess it would make sense to give those uh, pros a, a way to do something more of a meaningful Especially a kid like Leo Torres, he's he, he's good enough to train with the men's team on a regular basis, but he's not physically developed enough and ready yet um, to be playing in USL Championship on a regular basis, you know? Right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. That gives him a, a chance to shine. Um, yeah, hopefully. So um, with all the different teams, uh, different levels, like maybe they'll be fully, you know, go with like an academy plan or they have affiliates, things of that nature. Will these pro clubs in the future uh, be able to have their academies compete outside of USL Academy League? Like um, there's other different competitions, I'm sure. Uh, will they be allowed to do that under, you know, if they're a USL Academy team? Yeah, we'll, we're definitely going to create some uh, lanes to stay in, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and probably uh, – be somewhat selective as to as to the the types of competitions they choose um but we don't want to be too restrictive mm-hmm. we definitely want each club to feel like every club is going to find their own solution and and we also i'm a big believer that coaching and youth development is is a science is, is more of an art than a science mm-hmm. you know you know like there's you and i could coach chris could coach completely different styles and have completely different ways in which we interact with our players and form our team and ask them to have a certain style or model of play, but we can both be successful at developing good teams and good players. That's one of the coolest parts about the game. And so I, we want to create as much a framework and some guidelines, but we, we want clubs to do their own thing. I mean, San Antonio just sent their U12 team uh, to England and they got to play against like some of the best, you know, English premier league academies and, and train at, at the national training center, St. George's park great cultural and competitive developmental experience, you know, and we didn't tell them they, they had to do that. You know, they went on, they, they found that opportunity on their own accord. And, and I think that's a perfect example of, of them finding a creative way to enhance their own players development and work for them may not work for others. So be interesting to see Like that's one thing that'll be really exciting. We'll have, you know, in the next few years, we'll have anywhere from 30 to 50 to 70 clubs uh, all trying to find their own solution to player development, you know, in this country, which is, a, I think, an exciting thing about where the where where the direction of the game's going right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so um, I don't know too much about the um, wacky MLS rules. Some of them, uh, my my <laughs> okay. co-host uh, knows it a little bit better than I do, but he he wanted me to ask you because he couldn't be on today. Um, okay. 
Are there plans for like some of these kids who are coming up through, say, like, let me just use my local club, Charlotte Independence, for uh, kids who come up through that academy to get like some sort of homegrown status within the USL? Yeah, uh, so believe it or not, there. So USL Players Union just got formed earlier this year in, in our league offices. Right. Um, working through negotiating the first ever CBA in the history of the USL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think inevitably, uh, I, well, we, we know that the yeah, academy is a part of that dialogue because that's going to be the future pros of the union. Um, and so we're, we're talking through a few different ideas as to what exactly those homegrown rights could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that will depend on what that first ever CBA looks like mm-hmm. as well. You know, will there be league minimums that there aren't today? Will there be certain player rights at the senior team level? Um, so it's definitely something we're considering. And we're and, and at, at the end of the day, we, we certainly want to do what's best for the player long term. And mm-hmm. um, while also, of course, protecting our uh, our, our clubs and ensuring that they can continue to grow in a healthy and sustainable way. Hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like I said, I don't fully un- even know what homegrown is, uh, yeah. but, um, it, uh, I think that would be interesting to see how that works. I mean, I guess after CBA, but like if say uh, a fusion player goes on to NCFC, would they still yeah. be considered homegrown because fusions in league two, whereas NCFC's in championship, how would mm-hmm. that sort of thing work and things of that nature? But um, I guess the last question I have for you, I saw that the um, with the U-17s, their competitions are going to be this fall. I want to say it was October. And then the East's uh, competitions are going to be in February with it all culminating over that Memorial Day weekend in uh, 2020. Um, is there going to be any way for where people can watch it? Like is it going to be streamed on YouTube or anything like that so we can follow along with what's going on? Yeah, no, great question as well. Um, short answer, if you're lucky enough to just be in the city of one of those three events at the right time, you can come out to the games. Um, we're, we're actually going to be going out of our way to invite scouts at the college and pro level mm-hmm. soon, and the general public can come as well at no cost. Um, the We are working on a few streaming options. Um, I don't overpromise anything for the first year, but our hope is at least that a few of the marquee matches at each weekend and certainly like the the national final championship games that each uh, division will be will be will be streamed live uh, mm-hmm. online. So um, don't have a concrete answer for you yet, but uh, I am very optimistic that you'll at least get to see something um, even as soon as at the October event. So online, that is. Okay, cool. So so what would be the best way to uh, follow up with this? Like, is it like, do you guys have a particular Twitter handle for the academy or anything like that? Uh, not quite yet. I can tell you, uh, we are going to be launching, um, a website, uh, next month mm-hmm. that'll, uh, host all the future USL Academy news, as well as obviously just like information about the events itself. Mm-hmm. So that'll just be usl-academy.com. Right now that URL redirects to a couple pages we have set up about USL Academy on the the corporate like USL HQ website, mm-hmm. which we'd gladly suggest you guys check out um, just to get a feel. And you can even see some of the news we've already been rolling out about what our clubs individually are doing. The other best thing is on social media, just hashtag USL Academy, mm-hmm. one word. Um, that's a, certainly a great way to just keep up, up to date with um, especially what each club is doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week. 
um, we're trying to, to do more to, to share that. Um, so really those would be the two big things for now is just that, that hashtag and, and the eventual website that launches next week. Um, but it's, it's certainly, um, the storytelling element of, of these future player success stories is something that we certainly want to celebrate. And I'm telling you, there's already a handful of clubs that are doing some really exciting stuff on the ground. Um, which maybe that's for another call, but, uh, um, is, uh, we're already really encouraged by what their clubs are, our clubs are doing and, and plan to roll out in the near future. And we're going to try to share that as best we can. So well, appreciate you looking to follow along. Oh yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it and seeing how this grows. And, um, I'm just really curious to learn more about it. And, uh, I really appreciate all the time you've taken to talk with me and explain to me what it is that you guys are trying to do. And it sounds really awesome. And, um, yeah, thanks for your time. Of course, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. Um, look forward to, to seeing the podcast once it gets out. Yeah, for Good sure. luck with everything. Thanks. Thanks to Liam for joining us on the pod this week. You can check out more info on the Academy at uslsoccer.com slash academy. My BGN podcast of the week is The Mix Zone. The Mix Zone is a podcast focused on women's soccer hosted by Jen Cooper, and it's really awesome. Uh, each time she's on, she'll interview a NWSL player, or a former national team player, or someone who's involved in women's soccer. It's a really good perspective on the women's side of the game, and I recommend you check that out and all the other fine podcasts at bgn.fm or wherever you get podcasts. Next week, our episode will take us uh, on a journey to Greensboro, North Carolina, where Ben and I will hang out with NC Fusion U23s, formerly known as the Carolina Dynamo. Uh, I'm very interested in learning more about the Dynamo or the Fusion and their former history as the Dynamo uh, and just learn about, you know, why they made the transition, um, all that history. Uh, I personally think that the story behind uh, their former crest, why they had the Nottingham Forest uh, tree might be interesting to learn about and just uh, what they're doing in their community and how they've kept up for so long because they're actually one of the longest-running teams in America, having started in the only early 90s. I think they ceased operations for like one year and then came right back. But in that, they've kept going strong um, in all different types of levels in American soccer. So I think it would be really interesting to learn more about that. But until then, I've been Chris, and we'll talk to you next week. 